Good morning. I'm excited to be here this morning to talk about Jesus in prayer. It is a wonderful topic and Jesus has a lot to say about it. That can also be a little overwhelming because by no means will we cover everything that he talked about. And I know that for me and for a lot of us, sometimes hearing about prayer is always one of those things that just makes me feel guilty because I think about how I don't pray enough. And so my encouragement for all of us this morning is not to necessarily be plagued by guilt, but maybe to be looking for just a thing or two that God wants to teach you about prayer that you can try to implement this week. In light of the fact that I knew I was going to be talking about Jesus and prayer and that I'd been studying it, I decided I wanted to go see the movie um, Eat, Pray, Love, which is also a book that's been written. Some of you may or may not have read it or seen the movie. And I went by myself to the movie for a little different reasons than some people go. I'll, I'll tell you in a minute. There is a woman in the movie who begins to wrestle with and ask herself a lot of questions. And I think it's questions that you and I have at different times in our lives kind of wrestled with. Um, questions like, you know, who am I really? What's my purpose? What am I supposed to be doing? Why are these relationships so hard? Why do I have this emotional restlessness? There are times I think we all wrestle with these questions, and those are good questions to wrestle with. And I knew going to the movie that I, as a Christian, would not have the same solutions or answers that she would have to those questions. And so I was honestly going because I was curious to see what prayer meant to her and how prayer had been a part of her journey. I, I knew, again, that what I thought about prayer and the answers would be different than hers, but I was just curious to listen and to learn a little bit about how someone else might view it. And in listening to her, it was very interesting for me. As I left, I thought, you know, for me it was interesting because I was just going to hear what someone else thought. And I, as I left, I thought, you know, if I had been coming here to want to learn from her to implement her solution, it would have been very difficult, at least for me. Because for me, at times, it was hard to wrap my brain around what exactly is prayer to her. Are prayer and meditation the same thing? At times, she would talk about God or the universe, or there would be this prophet that talks sometime, or this muse. And for me, it was kind of hard to, for me anyway, maybe not for others, to understand exactly what it was that prayer was for her. And the book may have been different. I just saw the movie. And so since I was a PR major in college and spent many hours in the College of Journalism and Mass Communications in a computer lab, we had to write timed writings for newspaper articles where you had to cover the who, what, when, where, how, why of everything that we wrote. I thought, you know, at minimum, I want everyone to walk out knowing the who, what, when, where, why's of what Jesus says about prayer. Because if someone is here checking out Christianity or checking out Jesus, or even for those of us that believe in Jesus, I want us to make sure we're on target on the basics. So I've started off in your outline. We can't look up every one of those verses, and we're not going to be able to talk about all of them in depth. But I at least want us to talk about, if you are wrestling with some of those questions and think that prayer and what Jesus had to say about it might be a part of the solution for you, I want you to walk out at least understanding the who, what, when, where, how, and why of those things. So, first of all, the who of prayer. We see Jesus throughout his time teaching the disciples, teaching those who followed him about prayer. So the who of prayer is you. If you're here and you are trying to listen and follow Jesus and you want to know what he has to say, then prayer is for you. 
The what of prayer is actually at times a little bit hard to answer because it's not like prayer is done in a vacuum, disconnected from the rest of our walk with Jesus. Prayer involves communicating and communing that fellowship we have with God. And a lot of prayer really is asking for things. Now, of course, we listen and respond to God, but the what of prayer involves that communication with him, talking to him, and asking for things. So the who, what, when. I gave you a lot of questions in your homework, a lot of verses to look up, because I wanted you to see, like I had in my own study, the when that Jesus prayed. So when did he pray? All the time. (laughs) Everywhere. Sometimes in good situations, in bad situations, in hard situations, in suffering, in pain, in joy, at the beginning of his ministry, before choosing the disciples. The when of prayer is all the time. So what about the where of prayer? Well, it goes right along with that. Prayer is something we do everywhere. We saw Jesus do it alone. We saw him do it in front of other people. We saw him um, speaking it out loud, maybe at times not speaking it out loud. Prayer is something, talking to God, communicating with him, asking for things, is something that we do everywhere. Now that how of prayer is, um, we're going to talk about that a little bit more. And prayer, I think we can learn a lot about the how of prayer from the Lord's Prayer, which was a part of your homework. Now, by no means do I want us to necessarily get stuck on the how of prayer, because sometimes I think we become convinced we can't do it right, so we don't pray. Prayer is really just talking to God and asking for things, so please don't get caught up in the how. But I do think the the Lord's Prayer gives us some guidance. Additionally, I think it's important, at least after seeing the movie, because this woman kind of involved a number of people and different things in her prayer. Prayer is something that we direct to God. Jesus talks to God the Father um, of the Bible. Now, since Jesus has been resurrected and is with the Father, he also is God, the Spirit is God. It's okay to pray to God the Father, God the Son, or God the Spirit. But... Definitely, we're talking about praying to the God of the Bible, not other people or prophets or the universe. Jesus would talk about praying to God. Additionally, I think a lot, um, as I read through and as you read through with me, a lot of the things Jesus had to say about prayer, prayer is something that we need to do with great persistence. It's not a one-time, one-moment thing, and it's something that we should approach uh, with great humility because God is the God of the universe. So, we've got the who, what, when, where, how. What about the why? Why do we pray? Well, there are a lot of reasons. I listed some of them. Uh, We pray for God's glory. We pray for our own joy. We pray because God says so. We pray because he answers prayer. There's actually a lot of reasons why we pray. And, if you've noticed, I've put one more question on there. Because, about... Ten years ago, and you can laugh at me because I'm kind of a nerd and I like to study, but about ten years ago, I picked out about half a dozen what I called foundational issues of the Christian faith. I thought, if I'm going to do this Jesus thing for my whole life, and if I'm going to tell other people about these or teach these, I want to make sure the foundation of what I'm doing is correct. Because, you know, if you build a house and the foundation isn't wrong, it's going to skew everything. The paint job isn't going to fix the fact that your wall is leaning over. So I picked half a dozen issues, prayer, scripture, fellowship, evangelism. And I went through the Bible and I asked the who, what, when, where, how, why of every one of those things, as well as some other questions. But one question I asked about every single one of those foundational issues was, how does this foundational issue glorify God? 
since that is the foundation of why we're here, I wanted to make sure I understood that. So in preparation for this, I went back to those notes, and I found a quote that I'd found 10 years ago about why prayer glorifies God, and I wanted to share that with you. It's by John Piper, and he says, Prayer is the open admission that without Christ we can do nothing. And prayer is the turning away from ourselves to God and the confidence that he will provide the help we need. Prayer humbles us as needy and exalts God as wealthy. Prayer glorifies God and shows him as great and powerful because we are coming to him, we who have nothing, are coming to him who has everything and will give it to us as he knows is best for us. So that is how prayer glorifies God. So... Now that my conscience feels good and that you at least will leave knowing, (laughs) if nothing else, the basics of prayer, if that's something you want to try and implement in your life, I feel a little better now. But I think we all have to admit that prayer, again, is not done in a vacuum. I, my senior year in high school, actually took driver's ed as a part for a semester at the public school I went to. I already had my driver's license, but I actually took it because in the state of South Carolina, where I grew up at the time, you could get a discount on your insurance if you took driver's ed. I needed something to take, figured why not save my parents a little money, so I took driver's ed. And it was very interesting for me to take driver's ed after you knew how to drive a car. It's, it's a little different. So you're sitting in the classroom, reading the books, you know, the chapter on signs and brakes and steer, whatever it is, you're reading about all these things separately. And then we had to go into the simulators where you kind of pretend like you're driving a car. And it's so weird because they're really just testing one thing. Like, do you brake at the right time or do you turn at the right time? And we all know that driving a car is not simply about braking. You don't wake up one day and decide, I'm going to use my brakes today, but not anything else. Or I'm going to look at the signs today, but it doesn't matter when I turn my car. I mean, it doesn't, it doesn't work like that. They're all integrated together. And that's really how prayer works. Prayer isn't something that we do in a vacuum. Prayer is interconnected with the rest of who we are and what's going on in our lives and how we walk with Christ. And so I wanted for us to kind of look at what does prayer look like in the real world? Not when you're in the simulators or when you're just doing a study on prayer. What does it look like and how is that integrated with the rest of our lives? To do that, I went and read through John chapters 14 through 16, which is a part of the time where Jesus was talking to his disciples right before he was getting ready to be arrested and go to the cross and be crucified and then resurrected. And he talks about a lot of things in those chapters also 13 and 17 as well, but we're just going to look at 14 through 16. And I want us to see how does prayer look like integrated with the rest of our Christian life and with the rest of what is going on for us. So if you want to open to your Bibles to John 14 through 16, you can do that. Or I've also put the verses on your verse sheet so that you can look at those as well. And so I'm going to start in John chapter 14 with verse 12. And when we get to the part where you see the prayer come up, where Jesus tells the disciples, ask for something and I'll answer, I want you to underline it. And then we're going to go back through and look at some of the things surrounding that to see how prayer is integrated in with the rest of our lives. Starting at verse 12, Jesus says, Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do. 
And greater works than these will he do because I'm going to the Father. Okay, this is where you start underlining. Verse 13. Whatever you ask in my name, this I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask anything in my name, I will do it. If you love me, you will keep my commandments, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever, even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, for he dwells with you, and you will be in me. So, verse 13 and 14 is where we see this prayer. He says, ask for something and I'll give it. I don't know all of the times that it's referenced in John. It says somewhat similar to the same thing. So I've called that effective prayer. I don't know if that's the best thing to call it. But to me, if you ask for something and you get it, that was effective. So that's the best word I could come up with. So we see this effective prayer. Ask for something and you get it. And... (laughs) It envelops us. Now, I noticed this typo after Ellen had printed hundreds of copies. So it says envelopes each time. So just feel free to laugh at me and cross out the second E. I meant envelops. I didn't want her to reprint hundreds of copies. So effective prayer envelops. It encapsulates. It's a part of. It's mixed in with some other things. I want to point out three things in this passage that are interconnected with prayer and even how we pray. The first one. In verse 12, Jesus says, whoever believes in me, circle that, effective prayer envelops those who walk in faith, people who believe, not just who believe, but who believe in Jesus. The focus of our faith is Jesus. Jesus isn't saying believe in yourself or the universe or some method. He's saying if you believe in me, that's the faith we're talking about. Our investment in that faith is total. You saw with Jesus, when he asked you to believe in and trust him, he asked for everything. This is not a sometimes faith or a when it's convenient faith. It's a all the time faith. That investment is total. And it's a journey that never ends. This faith journey he was calling the disciples to and us to last for our whole life. Now admittedly, none of us do that perfectly. We're all striving and fall down. But the course of our lives, the focus of our lives is faith. The second thing. In that same verse, Jesus says, this person will also do the works that I do. And then he says, and greater works than these will he do. Now, I don't know about you, but I read that, and at first glance, I think, you've got to be kidding. What in the world am I going to do that's greater than Jesus? I mean, he healed people, he died on the cross and was resurrected. I've got nothing to offer. Well, think with me just a minute. Admittedly, we have nothing better to offer than what Jesus had to offer. But when Jesus is talking to the disciples, this is a period in which he himself, one person, has been going around and teaching and training and telling other people about God, about the gospel. He's been the person healing and caring for people. And part of his ministry was teaching other people how to do that. And when Jesus says, and it's involved the Spirit, he says, I'm going to go away and you're going to do greater works. Not that you're going to do something more fantastic individually, but I was one person trying to teach a group of people. You are going to be a lot of people. You're going to be 12 disciples, and then the people you teach, and the hundreds and the hundreds and the thousands that come out of you. You're going to have greater influence because there's a lot of you. So we're not doing anything different than what Jesus did. We are caring for people. We're telling other people about Jesus. He came to do those things. 
And so when he's talking about this person who's praying this effective prayer, he's talking about a person, the work of Jesus, I run on your outline, is living out and spreading the gospel. That's what Jesus came to do. He came to care for and tell people about himself and about the Father. That's the type of person that's praying these effective prayers. Now thankfully, we don't have to live that life or pray those prayers on our own. He gives us a great promise here, the promise that he's going to send a helper. He's going to send the Spirit. So that Spirit is going to be with us, helping us with these things. Now, stop for just a minute. We've described this type of person that's kind of in and around the context where Jesus says, if you ask for something, I'll give it to you. Now, here's the question that I asked myself. When I am focused on Christ, my faith is in him, and when I'm focused on living out and spreading the gospel, what am I asking for? Now, let me do a comparison, at least in my own life, for the types of things I ask for. When I'm not necessarily thinking about Jesus, walking in faith, thinking about the gospel, and things come up in relationships, my concern is basically me. If I was asking God for things in that moment, I would be saying, God, make their life miserable. God, protect me. God, make them like me. Like, I mean, I'm looking out for me, basically. Now, what do I ask for when I'm focusing on Christ and when I'm living and spreading out the gospel? I'm thinking, oh God, help me love that person even though it's really hard for me. God, help me ask for forgiveness because I wronged them. God, help me forgive them. God, help Jesus grow in their life. Do you see the two types of things I'm asking for? And it makes a little more sense when Jesus says, if you ask for something, I'll give it. When I'm focusing on him and walking consistent with him, the types of things I ask for are very different than when I'm not. Now, none of us is ever going to get all our prayers answered. None of us is going to ask for things perfectly. We're never going to get everything we ask for because we do not ask perfectly or want perfectly. But to the degree I'm walking with him, it helps us understand a little more why Jesus says, if you ask for something, I'll give it to you. Okay, that makes sense. Let's move on to the next passage. Again, it's still in these John chapter 14 through 16 chapters. In John chapter 15, verse 5, flip there or pull out your outline. And again, look for the prayer part. Jesus says, I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers, and the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire, and burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. By this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. In verse 7, Jesus says again, Ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. Well, what things are surrounding that? In verse 7, Jesus says, If you abide in me. This person is a person abiding in and fellowshipping with Jesus. And he says again in verse 7, My words abide in you. Well, where for us are Jesus' words written? They're written in the scriptures. So this is a person who the scriptures are important in their life, And they're grounded in the scriptures. What about verse 8? It's a person that bears fruit. Again, we don't have enough time to talk about each of these things, so I've kind of picked one of them. 
I specifically chose the scriptures part just because I know for me, prayer was something I really had to learn. It didn't come naturally for me. And I would always hear people kind of talking about, use the scriptures in your prayer life. And I'm thinking, I don't really know what that means. I don't know what that looks like. So, and by no means have I got it figured out. But I wanted to just to at least indicate what it might look like in my life, the way the scripture changes how I pray. And again, it's not to say that you have to use the scriptures every time you pray. You don't. It's okay to ask for things that come to your mind. But as I read through, I've put on your verse sheet Psalm 23. I just want to read through it and at least explain what might be going on in my head or my heart as I'm reading through this. And it may, it will depend on the day. It'll depend on the things going on, what I'm thinking about. I'm just going to say out loud some of the things that might be going on in my head as I'm reading this passage. Okay, so it starts off, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not walk. At times, it'll start off with me for praise. God, praise you that you're such a great shepherd. You took care of this and this. You protected me from this. You've provided this for me, for the people around me. I was able to eat this morning, thanks. At times, maybe I read those verses, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. And I say, God, this is really hard for me to read today. Because four of my friends have gotten exactly what they want, And their needs are taken care of. And for me, I've been praying for this for way longer than they have. And I I don't feel like I have what I want. It's really hard for me to read this today, God. Um, I know you're a shepherd. Would you help my heart? Because I'm really wrestling with that today as I read this. Because I don't don't necessarily feel that today. Verse 2. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. My... Almost always, my immediate response to that is, oh, God, forgive me. I'm the worst rester ever. I always have something to do. I never just sit down, either physically or emotionally or spiritually. I'm running around doing something. I never just sit down and think about you. Would you forgive me? And would you just help me here for a few minutes to do that? Because I'm terrible at that. Verse 3, he restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Man, that word righteousness hits me, and I think of the 12 things that I've done today that were not righteous. <laughs> and I go, oh, God, forgive me. I, I messed up there. Um, or maybe it's a day when I've really experienced his forgiveness, and I'm thinking, God, thanks so much that you restored my soul in this area, in this area, in this area. You were so good to me. I didn't deserve that. Thanks for doing that. For me, and I won't continue going, but these are the types of things in the way, for me at least, that scripture can impact what I ask for and how I talk to God. Again, it's okay to ask for other things, and none of us are ever going to get everything we ask for. But I just wanted us to see a little bit about how when we're this person who's trying to be in the scriptures and fellowship with Jesus, how that really impacts our prayer life and what we talk to him about. So, that was point number two. Let's move on um, to the next passage. It's actually a longer one. It's in John chapter 16, starting at verse 16. And it may start off a little confusing, but I'll explain it. I think this passage is really cool. Um, Jesus is saying to his disciples, A little while, and you will see me no longer. And again a little while, and you will see me. Some of the disciples said to one another, What is this that he says to us? A little while and you will not see me. And again, a little while and you will see me because I'm going to the Father. So they were saying, what does he mean by a little while? We do not know what he's talking about. Jesus knew that they wanted to ask him. So he said to them, is this what you're asking yourselves? 
what I meant by saying a little while and you will not see me and a little while and you will see me. And they're thinking, yes, that's exactly what we're thinking. Verse 20, he starts to answer them. He says, truly, surely I say to you, you will weep and lament, but the world will rejoice. You will be sorrowful, but your sorrow will turn to joy. Well, we know the end of the story, whereas the disciples haven't quite gotten it yet. What's getting ready to happen? Very shortly, Jesus is getting ready to be crucified on the cross, and there's going to be great sorrow. They're going to be incredibly sad. But the world, the people who are crucifying him, are going to be super, super excited. And then, what's going to happen? Jesus is going to be raised from the dead, and their sorrow is going to be turned into joy. He's telling them about what is getting ready to come. Verse 21, when a woman is giving birth, she has sorrow because her hour has come. But when she has delivered the baby, she no longer remembers the anguish for joy that a human being has been born into the world. So also you have sorrow now, but I will see you again and your hearts will rejoice and no one will take that joy from you. He's going to appear to them again. He's going to be raised from the dead and that's going to bring them great joy. He's explaining this to them. And we get to look at it afterwards and understand it, what he's talking about. Verse 23, in that day you'll ask nothing of me, meaning they're going to understand what he was talking about. They're not going to have to say that whole sorrow, joy thing, what was that? They're going to get it. They're going to go, oh yeah, we totally understand now. And then, truly, truly, I say to you, here's our prayer part. Whatever you ask of the Father in my name, he will give it to you. This is so interesting. Verse 24, until now you've asked nothing in my name. Ask and you will receive that your joy may be full. I've said these things to you in figures of speech. The hour is coming when I will no longer speak to you in figures of speech, but will tell you plainly about the Father. In that day, prayer again, you will ask in my name. And I do not say to you that I will ask the Father on your behalf. For the Father himself loves you because you have loved me and have believed that I came from God. I came from the Father and have come into the world and now I'm leaving the world and going to the Father. Okay, there are a couple of things in here I want us to fo focus on that should and surround our lives as Christians and integrate with our prayer life. The first one has been mentioned several times. I've chosen to highlight it here. There's several times in and around this ask and you'll get that Jesus is talking about the love that they have for him or the love that they have for the Father. So, Love, having a heart that loves Jesus, is very much connected to this effective prayer and impacts our prayer life. And loving, I just wanted to mention this, loving in Jesus involves both affection and obedience. And sometimes I think that we can get a little confused. Yes, we should feel love for Jesus. That's a great thing. And our love, as we see in the scriptures, is also affected, also affects our obedience. It affects what we do, what we do. So loving Jesus impacts our prayer life. Additionally, and I love this part. This is probably the favorite part of the study for me personally. I think this is cool. I was so interested in what would happen because Jesus says, you haven't asked anything in my name before and you're going to afterwards. And I'm kind of thinking, I wonder what they asked. And thankfully, I have the book of Acts, which tells me what happened after Jesus was resurrected. So I, out of curiosity, flip over to Acts, and I think, they're asking for nothing. They asked for something. I'm curious. What are they asking for? Big houses, more cattle, lightning upon their enemies. I don't know. I'm kind of curious. What do they ask for? So I turn over, and I start reading the book of Acts. And I selected one of the times that we see things that they ask 
4. It's in Acts chapter 4. It's on your verse sheet, or you can flip there if you'd like. And we get to see what has happened. Because apparently something significant has occurred. Beforehand, they're asking for nothing. Afterwards, they're asking. So this resurrection thing, Jesus being raised from the dead, has radically impacted their prayer life and what they're asking for. Now, a little background before we get to this passage. You'll remember, perhaps, maybe not, Peter was one of Jesus' disciples, and right before Jesus is crucified, he's been arrested, and someone looks at Peter and says, hey, you know Jesus, right? And he goes, nope, never heard of him. Three times, won't even admit he knows the guy or has been with him. Like, I don't know that Jesus guy. Never been with him. Doesn't know him. Okay, now, again, the resurrection has occurred. It's only been a few months. And Peter, right before this passage, has been arrested for speaking about Jesus, been let out of prison, and they say, okay, Peter and John, you guys can get out of prison and do whatever you want, except no more talking about this Jesus guy. And Peter and John say, sorry, still going to talk about him. And they go and they meet up with their friends right after they've been let out of prison. Again, this is a guy he wouldn't admit he knew or had been around with a few months earlier, the resurrection occurred and something tremendous has gone on in Peter's life because he's a different guy, as are the people around him. So start reading with me in verse 23. Peter and John are released and they go to their friends and reported what the chief priests and elders had said to them, which was no more talking about Jesus. Verse 24. When they heard it, they lifted their voices together to God and said, Sovereign Lord, who made the heaven and earth and the sea and everything in them, who through the mouth of our father David, your servant, said by the Holy Spirit, Why did the Gentiles rage and the people's plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his anointed. For truly in this city they were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the peoples of Israel, to do whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. Basically, they're kind of just reminiscing a little bit. Here's what's happened. And now they get to the part that they ask for something. What, of all the things in the world, are they going to ask for? Verse 29. And now, Lord, look upon their threats and grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness, while you stretch out your hand to heal, and signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant Jesus. And when they prayed, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken, and they were filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the word of God with boldness. Something huge has happened and changed in them. They couldn't admit, Peter couldn't admit he'd been with Jesus. He stares into A Jesus who goes to the cross, dies for him, is raised again, and he goes, I love this Jesus. And me having him and other people having him matters more than anything else on the planet. And more than anything else, I want the courage to stand up and talk about him because that man is amazing. I want to stop and tell you a story. I have the cutest niece and nephews on the planet. I have pictures of them. The first one, if they were able to get them, this is my niece, Beth. We often call her Bethy. She's two. Is she not the cutest little girl you've ever seen? On the next screen is her older brother, Austin, with the brown hair. He just turned four. Those are my brother's two kids. The one standing next to him is my sister's little boy, Owen. So they're cousins. Austin and Owen are cousins. They're about seven months apart. 
Now, sometimes I will um, call in on video chat on Skype and I'll talk to them. So, you know, the video's there and I can see and talk to them and they can talk back to me. Well, a few months ago, it was in the summer, and they, my parents were keeping Owen, my brother and sister-in-law were somewhere, I think they were out of town, and so Robert, my brother, and his wife take Austin and Beth over to my parents' house. They're called, they go by Nana and Papa. Now, I don't know about you, when you went to your grandparents' house, or what kind of idea you have about that, but going to Nana's house is very different than some of you may have the perception of going to a grandparents' house. Because my mom has been a preschool teacher for years. And the children at Nana's house and at their own house have special Nana clothes. Now, you might be thinking, oh, you have to dress up when you go to Nana's. Oh, no, no. These are the clothes that can get dirtier and muddier than your other clothes. Because when you go to Nana's house, there's going to be mud and playing, and Nana's out there and you with it. So for a two-, three-, or four-year-old, going to Nana's house, this is a treat. Now, at Nana's house and Papa's house, also... There's a couch, which the cushions are off because it's the couch you get to jump on at Nana and Papa's house. Oh, yes. And they're going over to Nana and Papa's house this day to get on Papa's boat, which basically means they're going out into the lake, they're putting on their life jacket. And for as long as Nana and Papa will let them, they're going to jump off the boat, come back up, Papa's going to pull them into the boat. They're going to jump off the boat, they're going to come back over, Papa's going to pull them into the boat. And they're having a picnic. Well, because it was too hot outside, Nana literally moves all the furniture out of her living room, puts down a blanket, and we have a picnic in Nana's living room. Of course, there's snacks and lots of fun things, so I Skype in, and I am talking to them while they're eating. And so Austin and Owen are both the cutest kids on the planet, but very different. Owen will talk to anyone. I Skype with Owen. He's telling me about any and everything. Hi, Owen. How are you? He talks back. We have a good conversation. Austin, however, is not as interested about talking to me on the computer. Now, when we're together, we play all day. He's not as interested about that. He is eating. He's distracted. So, of course, I'm trying to involve him in the conversation so it doesn't look like I like Owen better than I like Austin. So I say to Austin, Austin, what did you and Beth do today? Because I know what they'd done that day. Well, Austin doesn't blink. Owen, however, stands up and says, Austin and Beth went to Leapin' Lizards today, so Owen will tell me anything I want to know. Austin, however, quietly eating his food. I'm on the Skyping with him, video chatting for a half hour, literally. And in that entire time, there was only one thing Austin was motivated enough to tell me. And I'm thinking, there's a lot of good things about this day. He's been to Leaping Lizards, he's at Nana's house, we're going to go jump off the boat, we're eating what we want to, we've got on our Nana clothes, it doesn't matter if we get dirty. This is, in two, three, or four-year-old world, this is just about as good of a day as it gets. And all of that, while very important, was not what Austin decided to tell me about. At one point in the conversation, totally unprompted, he lifts up his hand in the air and points his finger, because that's what he does when he gets excited. He lifts up his hand, he points his finger, and he looks at me, and he screams, We've got Owen! The most important thing to him about that day wasn't any of the fun things he got to do or the things he was given. He had Owen. Is that how we feel about Jesus? Of all the things he could give us, and of all the things we could ask for, And of all Peter and his friends could ask for, they said, we've got Jesus and we want other people to have Jesus. 
And that's all they bothered to ask for right there. What we feel about our love for Jesus and how changed we have been by the power of the resurrection impacts what we ask for in our experience with Christ. Now, as I was studying through this, it it was actually, the more I got into it, as excited as I was, there was one thing that kept going on in the back of my head. There was this, but God, but God, that kept kind of coming up to the point that I literally went back and I read through John chapters 14 through 16 again because I thought I'd missed something. I go through chapter 14, it's not there. Go through chapter 15, it's not there. I'm cruising through chapter 16, don't see it. And I'm like, I'm kind of halfway through chapter 16 and I'm kind of getting a little discouraged and I'll put a pause there. I think the reason that this question was so discouraging for me because of what prayer has meant and how it's been involved in the last eight months or so of my life Because as much as I loved all of this, loving Jesus and we're on a mission and we want to pray for people and impacting people and pray the scriptures, and that's all good and fabulous for me. But there's this part of me that kept thinking, but God, for me, sometimes prayer is just this cry of desperation in the middle of the storm. And I kind of was like, is that in here? But God, what about that? I I just, I, I wasn't sure. The, the reason it's been so significant, in December, I was totally out of the blue, unexpected, diagnosed with uterine cancer. They did a hysterectomy and found I also had ovarian cancer that was not connected, but I had both of them at the same time. They were both early stages, and so normally a hysterectomy would have been a sufficient um, treatment, but because the type of ovarian cancer I had was really bad, I headed into chemo and did chemo, thankfully. Um, Lord willing, chemo's done. I still have a lot of side effects and probably will for six to nine months, but more, but feel much better than I did and go in every three months for checkups and scans. And those of you who've done the cancer thing know how that works. And so far, everything's looked good. So praying it will continue to. And as I headed into chemo, they were very careful to tell us people have different responses to chemo. Some people, it's not a big deal and they're able to continue on with their lives. For some people, it's a bigger deal and you won't know until you get there. So I go into chemo, and about an hour and a half um, after I left the doctor's office, I realized I was not going to get one of those easy ones. And 24 hours into it, I distinctly remember laying in my bed in so much significant pain, absolutely feeling like I was dying. I don't even know how to describe it, thinking, God, you've got to be kidding me if you think I'm going back for this seven more times. I mean, I was not even done with one treatment, and it was already wretched. And my um, response to it, I was very sensitive to smells and sounds and lights and everything um, very much stimulated me and really exacerbated the pain. So I spent a lot of hours over the course of some months and weeks literally laying flat in my bed with the lights off, no sounds or smells because it was so crazy. And it painful. And it wasn't one of those things where like you're in the quiet so you pray for people or think about Jesus. Oh no. This is one of those, I'm trying to breathe here. You know, like there was none of that happy reflection thing, you know. And there were a lot of times when it was real painful and it was also kind of emotionally painful because you're thinking, my God, I don't expect life to be easy, but really it has to be this painful? You know, like I I honestly didn't know what to do with that. And a number of times God would really remind me, Kath, you know I love you, I sent Christ to die on the cross for you, don't question that. And a lot of times that was really enough and we would kind of cruise on and make it through. But there were a few times 
that, I mean, in the extent of my prayer life was, oh God, you have got to help and make this stop. And it would continue on. And there are moments when there's the physical pain, but there's also the emotional pain of how in the world can it be this hard? And God, you have got to be kidding me. And I don't like to get mad at God. I don't feel very comfortable there. And there were a couple of times that I really wanted to drop kick God off a cliff and tell him exactly what I thought about this whole cancer thing. And I don't like to feel that way. He's the God of the universe. I'm not. I don't feel very comfortable there. And so I'm kind of in physical pain and wrestling emotionally. And it was in those few times that God in that moment said, Kath, you know, I sent Jesus to die on the cross for you a long time ago. I am totally capable of whatever emotional things you think, you think you're feeling that you think I'm mad at you about. I took care of you and your salvation before you were ever born. I've taken care of the world. I've got your life. Don't worry about it. I'm not going anywhere. I've got you, even when you feel like you don't have me. And as I was reading through John chapter 16, kind of wondering the but God, I got to verse 33, the very last verse in those three chapters, and I read this, and it was what God had those few times really reminded me of. He says, I've said these things to you that in me, in me, you may have peace. In the world, you will have tribulation. I got that. I got that tribulation. And here's what he says. Take heart. I have overcome the world. When you don't have anything. I've got you. I've got the world. I've overcome it. Let me do that. Prayer is a very significant blessing. It's a part of our mission. It's a part of something we use as we pray for ourselves to have more of Jesus, for the people around us to have more of Jesus, as we want to live out and share the gospel and all those kind of things. But it's also that thing that when you've got nothing else and oh God help is all you can utter, it's that thing. And for me, at least recently, through that vehicle which said, Kath, I gotcha. I know the world's crazy and you don't know how you're going to do it, but I gotcha. What a gift. Let's pray. Father, what a blessing, what a gift that we get to talk to you. Um, That is so huge to me. And God, you know my heart was that none of us would be incredibly overwhelmed or over-guilted by prayer and and be discouraged as we walk out of here. And, And God, I pray that none of us would have that feeling that we would be encouraged and motivated just to take one or two steps in the direction of praying more. And God, I pray that as a part of that, you would make each one women of faith, women focused on Christ, women focused on living and spreading out the gospel, that your spirit would help us and we'd be reminded always that he's there. I pray we'd be women who fellowship with and communicate with you and are grounded in the scriptures and bear fruit. And I pray we'd be people with this incredible love for Jesus, who have been so profoundly and permanently and dramatically changed by the resurrection, that what we pray for is so different than what it was before. God, I pray you would integrate prayer into our lives even more, that you would envelop us with it in such a way that it's so significant and powerful for each one of us. And God, I just want to thank you particularly that it is that thing that when all you have is, oh God, help, that that's enough. You have, Jesus, overcome the world.
And we are permanently changed by that. Make us more than anything else, more than anything else, love you more, know you more, and be so open to and bold enough to speaking that out to the people around us. Please, please, God, make us, make us be those women. It's in your name, Jesus, we pray. Amen.